Welcome to Insights for Manufacturing, a podcast that supports the UK manufacturing sector. Hosted by Jeff Beecham, the manufacturer's recruiter. Hello and welcome to Insights for Manufacturing. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, Jack Semple, Secretary of EMA, which is the Engineering and Machinery Alliance. Good to have you on the show, Jack. How are you today? Uh, I'm very well, thanks, Jeff. I'm very pleased to hear uh, to be here, and I commend you on these podcasts. I think they're great. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Well, it's uh, it's going to be a very very interesting discussion today. Just before we get into the into the sort of questions for for the for the benefit of the audience who aren't familiar with with EMA. The Engineering and Machinery Alliance, it's an alliance of trade associations working with government and others to strengthen the machinery and component supply chain in the UK. So we'll, we'll talk about the, the range of members shortly. But first, Jack, let's kick things off by reflecting on a topic that's close to both our hearts and most of the people in our respective networks, I guess. In February 2022, the government identified a new imperative to reverse the historic decline in manufacturing in the UK. In April, Bayes Minister Lee Rowley promised a manufacturing investment prospectus, which was essentially a drawing together of the disparate measures already in place. So, Jack, the million dollar question, what's actually happened since then? Well, we've had a general election, of, uh, uh, not a general election, a leadership uh, election, a new prime minister, a new government and a new chancellor and a new business secretary is the it's a short answer, of course. But I think it's a fascinating question, Jeff. This new imperative came in one line in the levelling up uh, white paper in February yeah, uh, and rather stands out in a short paragraph. There isn't a lot. There isn't anything else about it in uh, the white paper. There's not a lot else in government policy, hence the manufacturing investment prospectus. The position of manufacturing in UK government policy has been uncertain for a very long time. So it was great to see that line in the levelling up white paper, which we must remember was the Johnson government's flagship policy. So therefore, that commitment has to be taken as very strong. What we needed to see was uh, what lay behind it. With the new government, I think the priority is to see, does the new government uh, recognise the importance of manufacturing? Does the government restate that imperative? Because it says we must reverse the decline. Yeah. And then what are we going to see uh, to support it? And I think... In terms of the importance of manufacturing, if I could just take a a, a moment, because one of the EMA's members, the Manufacturing Technologies Association, really sparked the debate in that area uh, four years ago with a report that it commissioned from Oxford Economics, which highlighted how manufacturing, while only about 10% of GDP directly, actually accounts for 23% of GDP in the UK because of all the knock-on direct and indirect effect it has with suppliers. And that led to a further report by the Institute for Manufacturing at University of Cambridge, for Bayes itself, talking about how how manufacturing fits into the infrastructure and everything from research and innovation through to to marketing and, and logistics, and how manufacturing can have various values 
in, in terms of profitability and so on itself, but yeah. how important it was to all the other aspects. But we never had that imperative to rebuild manufacturing, which has been on a long, slow decline. So really a key question is how can we move forward? I think that's, that's a really vital point for, for the new Prime Minister and the new, new Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, who, of course, was the business secretary. I'd like to talk about kettles for, for a second in that regard, because I'm not sure that we've got the terminology around manufacturing quite right. We talk about advanced manufacturing and other manufacturing. And as we know, manufacturing is a very diverse, it's a very, very, very broad church. However, Boris Johnson, in his last speech as Prime Minister, got into trouble for talking about kettles and how you should buy a £20 kettle to, to, to save £10 each, each year. Now, I, I thought, given that he was talking about Sizewell C, I thought was, the criticism was totally unfair on that occasion. But the issue for me is not whether we should go and buy a kettle, but who makes the kettles. And so if you think about the kettle analogy, because it was so prominent with Boris Johnson, do we just focus on a few narrow uh, sectors like space and aerospace, healthcare, automotive, or are we going to take a broader sweep uh, view of manufacturing? And I'm very interested, a number of other countries view uh, advanced manufacturing as being relevant to everybody because it's not what you make, it's how you make it. Absolutely. And yes, some things like aero engines and aircraft wings and so on are always going to be very sophisticated things to manufacture. But all manufacturing could be advanced if it's using the latest up-to-date efficient methods of doing so and uh, bringing design, building in design into how you make it. And so if you think about what some people call industry four, how can we bring industry four not only into those if you like, sexy areas of manufacturing, but into all manufacturing? And how can we re-envisage manufacturing? And I could, if I can envisage manufacturing catapult, which is largely funded directly and indirectly by Bayes, yeah. has a vision to double manufacturing by, uh, by 2030, from 10% to 20%. Now, that's not agreed with Bayes, because I asked earlier in the year, and we don't have a figure from the last government or the new government the essential point about where does manufacturing fit? Is it central to our uh, economic resilience, our growth, which the Prime Minister is absolutely focused on, to levelling up to net zero, which is our long-term aim? Yep. All these things manufacturing is very important to. And interestingly, I think Wales, Northern Ireland and Scotland all have much more of a plan for manufacturing and advanced engineering than England does. So do other countries. And Singapore, which people often talk about as being a leader in financial services and service industries, and you read in the papers about how the UK might be Singapore on Thames to promote financial services. 20% of the Singapore economy is manufacturing, and they have a plan to raise that to 30% by 2030. So yeah. where's the plan in the, in, for the UK and so that is the real challenge and focus for, I, I think, for our sector, um, for this government about manufacturing and the advanced engineering services that go around that.
Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Jack. And, you know, I think we we need a, what's the word? We, I think we need a renaissance, don't we? A renaissance of, of UK manufacturing for all for all the reasons, you know, we've discussed the supply chain disruption more recently has caused huge, huge problems. That's just one area. And I think it's that, it, you know, it's that understanding of the government as to how important and intrinsic manufacturing is to our, not just the economy, but our, our, our country as a whole. You know, there's a lot of tradition and heritage in manufacturing and engineering in the UK. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities in there. It's just, you know, we, we need a joined up approach and, and we need to grasp, you know, the opportunity for what, what the future holds. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how things uh, roll out. To be fair to the government, it's not just for government, of course. It's for business and industry as well. Yeah. Um, uh, Suleiman, of who appears on Dragon's Den, um, said something on a programme two and a half years ago that has stuck with me very much. Um, one of the people looking for uh, investment money was looking for some uh, lower cost and higher quality manufacturing. And Tukar Suleiman said, ah, I have a team in China. And where is our mentality? Where is our, I have a team in the UK? Yeah. Where's the mentality among uh, OEMs and tier ones to explore what's in, the U to un what's in the UK, to understand the UK supply chain? Where can they go to, to, to find those solutions? But where's even the mentality to start in the UK? Um, I, I have myself heard companies at shows coming up looking for supply chain solutions for suppliers. And uh, so oh, you'd only, you only recommend, this is to EMA members, you only recommend companies in the UK. I was looking for the Far East. So we need mm. a mentality shift in large companies. There are some networks and little groups who will work together, but we need, we need to expand that mentality uh, what I call the Tukar Suleiman index. Where's the team in the UK? Where's the mentality in the UK? At the moment, it's not as it, the index isn't as high as it needs to be. That's a really good point, Jack. And uh, thanks for sharing that. It's almost like, uh, you know, we've got to break that habit. You know, a lot of the big companies have, have just got into that habit, I guess, you know, of uh, cost down. So outsourcing low cost countries. And it's just been, you know, we're, we're, we're decades into that. It's almost become the norm, hasn't it? So it's been breaking that habit. It's starting to change. It's yeah. starting to change. I, I've been really uh, uh, encouraged to hear of companies with, with the high shipping costs and the delays, companies that have started making uh, not only their, their, their regular lines, but increasingly uh, high vol volume, low margin uh, pieces. You know, they're... There is definitely a move towards reshoring. Uh, uh, we need to build on that. We need to secure what we've got where, yeah. where, where we can based on quality and competitiveness uh, and, and a good business case and build on that. Absolutely. So just focusing on EMA for a second then, Jack. So your members currently include the following. Uh, we've got the Agricultural Engineers Association, the British Compressed Air Society, British Fluid Power Association, British Plastics Federation, British Turn Parts Manufacturers Association. We've got Gambica, Gauge and Toolmakers Association, Manufacturing Technologies Association, the Printing Industry Confederation, and then the Solids Handling and Processing Association. 
have I missed any? Are there any newer sort of members? Or is, is uh, no, the... those are our lead. Those are our lead members. Uh, we're very happy to to take on others. I think the characteristic is that they're all in the machinery and component supply chain. I think yeah. that's the best definition we we can have. So we've got the the, the manufacturing technologies uh, providers uh, through to tier three and four machining subcontractors. Uh, Gambica, by the way, stand, uh, includes automation control and laboratory systems, but it got yeah. so many different things, they just uh, compressed it. But the others are fairly self-explanatory. Okay. And, and can you give a brief overview, Jack, of the, of the sort of aims of, of EMA and how, you know, with a collective voice to government, because I know, you, you know, you sort of act as the, the sort of middle party in, in sort of talks between these trade bodies and the government, how... Yeah. EMA members and the, and the companies they represent can grow and, and evolve and thrive. So it, it, it's a broad it, it, it's a broad church again within the machinery and component supply chain. These are independent trade associations who are in alliance rather than a federation. If I could say, if I could say that, yeah. um, EMA's role is uh, is to help them to support their members, and that's mostly but not exclusively. As, as a conduit to and from government. So relaying to, to, to them what government's planning and feeding in or representing or lobbying on their behalf. Some of the members you know, additionally have their own contacts in government, in government others less so. Yeah. Um, so we spend, I spend my time dealing mostly with business department, international trade, um, treasury and department for education would be my core, core audience. And the, the, the key point is to ensure that in the area of policy and government, what government's doing and what it's thinking about and what it's proposing, that our members are aware so that they can inform their members and get their feedback. Yeah. Um, and so that's our, our role to strengthen the supply chain. The membership is predominantly SMEs, but we have large companies. I'll, I'll miss some out, no doubt, but Renishaw, Siemens, JCB, big companies in yeah. membership, but our focus is more on is on SMEs. What What are your members saying about the you know the current energy crisis, Jack? I mean, this is a huge, huge issue at the moment. So, what 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 uh, what feedback are you getting at the moment? Well, we we've been uh, I think a, a lot of traders' bodies have been uh, surveying our their members as to what their view is, and and EMA is no exception. Energy is for many of our members the critical issue. At the moment, um, it's really interesting to see the, um, the different positions of companies. They're not all in the same position, other than they're all worried about it. Yeah. Uh, so they have different contracts ending at different times. A lot of companies are seeing uh, increases, uh, typically two to four or five times their energy costs. Uh, in some cases, more than that. Um, but the, the average seems to be about two and a half to three percent. Um, yeah. They're all working to uh, to do what they can to pass on costs, of course. Energy, for some, is just the latest big increase in costs that they've had. But it's uh, but for a lot of companies, it's the most alarming. Yeah. Uh, there's a determination and a requirement to pass on the costs wherever they can, and I think it's really. Uh, it's that's going to be a really interesting dynamic. We're waiting to see what uh, the government is going to do, of course. So 
as we speak, we've had the announcement, but no detail as yet, um, other than whatever support is going to be available for the six, first six months will be backdated. Yeah. There's going to be a review by Jacob Rees-Mogg as to what the energy support will be after the first six months for businesses. Also, I think it's really interesting to note the the extent to which companies are doing uh, are taking action themselves, which is not yeah. a surprise. EMA's trade associations, they're, they're, they're really important, if you like, national clusters of capability within their sector. So we hear a lot about regional clusters from government and mm. re regional and local groups, which are very, very important. But I think from the trade association's point of view and from the national point of view, having a UK-wide national view on a lot of issues, including energy, is really important. They're, they've been a great conduit, a great, great um, uh, networking uh, opportunity for firms to learn about what others are doing. And there's a lot of that going on at the moment as well. Yeah. What, what would you like to see happen to, to support manufacturing businesses more on, on, on energy at the moment, Jack? I think this is one of the most difficult challenges for government. And uh, without being a great expert in energy, I wouldn't go into a huge amount of detail. But I think the, uh, I think the reality is that we've had a, a short-term surge. I support the, uh, the government's support for business. But I think, and this is a difficult, uh, a difficult point to make, but I think, again, if you look at the importance of manufacturing, manufacturing businesses are particularly important to support. Uh, and why is that? Because they're competing in international markets. Mm. Same is true of some other sectors, so the same would apply to them. Once lost, the jobs, the intellectual property, the taxes are very difficult to regain. Yeah. Think of the efforts that government puts into attracting inward investment in, into the UK. So it's absolutely critical that we support manufacturing business for those reasons. Also, as we've just talked about the supply chain, the supply chain issues and the support among companies is complex, uh, a, a, a mutually supportive environment in many ways. So we want to maintain the companies, the, 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 um, the infrastructure and the ecosystem, if you like, for manufacturing, which is more complex than in many other uh, industries. Yeah. And so the, the, the case that I'm making to government is that it's absolutely vital that's recognized and that we support manufacturing companies to get through uh, what is hopefully a short-term um, surge in energy costs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know from our, our sort of previous conversation a week or so ago, we, we talked about the topic of solar uh, energy and, uh, you know, solar panels that, that seem to be having a bit of a renaissance themselves, you know, particularly for, for businesses. And I know that there's a, a, a business not too far away from where I live in Birmingham, Surtec, uh, or a metal pressings company, I think that supply the automotive uh, industry, they're in Coles Hill. And, you know, they've invested in a, a huge array of, of solar panels on their factory roof, you know, which is going to cut their bill and, uh, you know, sort of reduce CO2 emissions dramatically. Is this a strategy that you're, you're actually talking to UK government about, Jack? And, and what support is there for businesses to, to invest in solar roofing? Um, the, ex the example you've just uh, mentioned, Jeff, is one I, uh, I've come across often. Okay. I think it's really significant 
that privately owned UK-based SME manufacturers have been investing in solar roofing um, as, a as a sound financial investment. Now, it may or may not have um, long-term carbon net zero credential uh, values as well, but companies have been investing in it even before the energy surge as a yeah. sound long-term investment. Um, and I've, I've been making that point to, to government. Um, my own view, which I know is shared by the companies that have been putting solar panels on, is that um, government needs to get its act together on this and, and regulate, and I know they don't like regulating on anything, but regulate for new buildings to have solar, uh, solar roofing. Yes. Because if it makes sense for a privately owned company to invest in the long term, then it must make sense for the economy as a whole because leased properties are going to be much less likely to invest. If we're serious about net zero, why wouldn't we? We require yeah. buildings to have certain levels of insulation, uh, groundworks and so on, foundations. Uh, it should be a, a requirement. There's great opportunities for, for design and manufacturing in that as well. It's a new opportunity. Globally, I can't believe it's not going to be a growth market. Yeah. It cuts your transmission losses. Uh, I, I read a letter in the Times last week about how uh, British fields were blossoming with solar panels. Um, it seems daft when we can have new developments. Surely they should be part of the ecosystem. And um, to, to adapt a Thatcherite uh, phrase, we could have um, an energy-producing democracy. The only people who wouldn't like it, perhaps, are the big energy companies. But, Absolutely. But, but I think if the, if the government doesn't think that's a good idea, I think, given all the history of subsidies and so on, it needs to un explain why regulating for new buildings isn't a good idea. Yeah, that makes sense. So moving on to skills, Jack, um, what, what are your members needing support with the most? I mean, you know, we've had the apprenticeship levy, you know, there's there's mixed feelings about whether that's been a failure or not we've got the you know t-levels you know what what are the what are the main issues at the moment and what what's the you know what, what's the what's the way forward as, as far as you're concerned we, we talk most about mostly about england simply because we don't have the bandwidth to talk about scotland wales and northern ireland uh, and there's a lot going on in england if we if we start with a levy um which is what most of the public debate seems to be about um, uh, in terms of workplace skills. Yeah, I think in our, our, our sector, uh, it's a bit of a mixed blessing. So uh, to me, the levy is, is, a ta is an issue about tax and large company budgets. It's not fundamentally a skills issue. Uh, the fundamental skills issue is the decline in the infrastructure of third party training for, for SMEs most of yeah. whom either don't pay the levy or don't pay very much. Um, I think the levy has generated uh, additional net gain to the Treasury because it hasn't been disseminated to SMEs as much for whatever reason as, as, as it might have been. Mm. So there, there, are, there are huge issues at every level of the skills uh, agenda, from getting people interested in engineering as school children to right up to level six and seven apprenticeships. Uh, it's really interesting. If you look at the Institutes of Technology, um, we're set up to, uh, to boost level uh, four and five apprenticeships. 
they've gone right back to, to schools in some cases to, to get the, the pipeline to come yeah. through. I think there's a lot of streamlining uh, and clarity needs to be brought to what I think is, uh, is regarded as the integrated school system. Maybe integrated, but I think it's confusing and it's difficult to access. Mm. The, the businesses themselves, I think, have a huge role to play in helping themselves. Uh, we have in, in, within EMA's membership a number of companies that I know of personally who have of all sizes. So we're not just talking about uh, uh, the large companies yeah. uh, like Renishaw and JCB and so on, but SMEs who have gone into the local community and have talked about engineering, talked about their company, and they don't have any difficulty in recruiting people into their business. I appreciate that's not possible for all firms, yeah. but uh, I would encourage more companies to reflect on what they do and how they uh, how they uh, project themselves and to go into the local community and schools and, and, and raise their profile. They'll raise the profile of engineering generally, and they'll raise the profile of their own business as well. I think you, you mentioned T-levels. We're working with Department for Education, doing a lot of work on, on, on that. Their new qualification that the government is bringing in uh, for 16 and 19 year olds. Uh, it's a two-year course, um, and we're already seeing courses in health. We've already had courses in healthcare, digital, and construction. Engineering and manufacturing uh, starts this September. And yeah. the key issue for companies is will they offer a 45-day placement for students? So the difficulty there is it's neither a one or two week place, uh, uh, work placement nor a full-blown apprenticeship where you really get geared up for it. We need to raise awareness and understanding. Uh, and I think it's going to be a bit of a slow burn personally. Yeah. Uh, but I think there are opportunities there. Do you think there's a, a sort of broad enough range of, of T-levels, uh, you know, that are planned at the moment to support the needs of UK manufacturing and engineering? I mean, I, I had a look on the on the website yesterday and, you know, there, there seemed to be, you know, a, a small bandwidth, you know, of T-levels that, that would cover sort of manufacturing and engineering. You know, our, our business is going to sort of slip through those gaps because it's not broad enough or I guess it's a complex thing. I, I, I think if we get the, the existing T-levels understood and adopted and crack this 45-day placement issue, yeah. uh, I, I, I think if there, if there are gaps, we can address them as we go forward. But I think the key point is to get the ones that exist yeah. um, understood and working, and then there will be a natural evolution, would be my guess. Absolutely. So moving on to another really important topic, something that I, I spoke about in the inaugural episode of, of Insights of Manufacturing back in uh, February, I think it was, with, uh, with Terry Schooler, Brexit, international trade. So... Jack, as you know, I'm a huge advocate of, of reshoring and, you know, increasing opportunities for UK manufacturers and the local supply chain. But we also need global trade, um, you know, for products, materials, services that we just don't have here in the UK. So, you know, we need to grow a much bigger export book, really. And, and I know some businesses are, have that sort of um, nervousness or, or trepidation if they haven't gone down the export route before, what, what are the key issues that, that you're seeing and, and where should efforts be prioritised? I think exporting is, it's, it's well known that exporting benefits businesses and we've, we see great 
benefits there. We, I was talking to a member uh, just yesterday about a firm that's absolutely leading edge in its support uh, for uh, materials handling and processing in food, uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, and chemicals. Yeah. And it's uh, in the UK and and and, and Europe. Uh, and it it can also uh, sell uh, either those technologies or different technologies for different parts of the world, depending on their need. I think the key point, uh, as far as government is concerned, and again, that's where I'm primarily uh, uh, concerned with, yeah. is we've seen a narrowing of ambition, ambition in our exports, as I would interpret it, a focus on a, on a few sectors. And to get back to the point about the renaissance of manufacturing, I think we need a broader approach, yeah. uh, I, 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 and I'd, I'd very much like to see that. Department for International Trade closed down a number of, of its groups, including Advanced Engineering last year. It's shrunk its ambition for exporting to from growing its proportion of GDP to a much more easily achieved nominal target by 2030. Yeah. So I, I think there are some questions around that and government support at this time of difficult cost. Um, I would encourage firms to uh, make adva take advantage of the internationalization fund while it still exists which can be really useful in supporting uh, marketing plans, developing your know-how for, for, for exporting. Also, the trade association, certainly with EMA and I know others, can support you getting into the exports, uh, the exporting markets, as well as the Department of International Trade, of course. Yeah. Um, if we look to the future, uh, I think we've got very interesting trade, trade negotiations, particularly with India. I think may maybe the next one that we see agreement on with the EU. Well, we've got time to start talking about the EU. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It's it'd be really interesting to see where the EU um, relationship develops. But uh, from our point of view, no surprise, it's our biggest market. It's on our doorstep. Yeah. Uh, it, it, we have the supply chains and we, whatever the politics, the business to business relationships have to work and be facilitated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm just thinking uh, recently, you know, with, with a lot of the components coming in traditionally from from sort of China and, and the Far East, you know, maybe there's a way for for the UK uh, and EU relationship to sort of smooth itself out a little bit by, you know, let's let's reshore as much as we can. But, you know, outside of that, we could almost, uh, I think I've seen a, a term uh, on the internet the other day, nearshoring. Near so maybe let's not get so much stuff from made in China. Let's use some of our European uh, friends and neighbours. And so, you know, at least you're dramatically reducing that uh, that distance and the, and the length of the supply chain. So maybe there are opportunities for us to, uh, uh, you know, procure products and, and materials from Europe a little bit more than, than China, perhaps. And uh, you know, maybe that might help the relationship a little bit as well. I, I think that's the reality of, of what companies are looking to do. Yeah. So I think we need to facilitate that. And the more we get away from uh, the, the the Brexit rhetoric, defining ourselves by not being in EU, the better it will be for global Britain, actually. Yeah. yeah. So just quickly, um, we, we spoke about energy earlier. So carbon net zero, um, huge topic. It, it affects everyone. EMA has signed up to the SME Climate Hub and is a member of the Climate Action for Associations. Um, what, what are the biggest challenges currently for UK manufacturing and what, what are your members doing, Jack, in terms of providing support or, or research or even events for, for businesses that they represent, um, you know, in terms of 
carbon net zero? Um, I, I think they're they're all taking their own their own approach. Each member is going to be doing something a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. But if I could just take uh, a couple of examples, uh, with apologies to everybody else, uh, the British Plastics Federation. Now, plastics is a sector that fits just underneath the um, formal intensive ener energy users, but their members use a lot of energy. It's got a, a, a climate change agreement with Bayes, which it's had since 2008. So mm. it's doing a lot to encourage its members to take action on climate. It's got 500 of its members, more than 500 signed up now. At the end of last year, it set up a net zero committee, which is to, to look at that particularly. And I think that's got a really interesting mix of, of companies and individuals sitting on it. Um, but uh, interestingly, they've been doing this since 1972. They set up an environment wow. committee. So this, you know, the, 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 the climate committee or the sustainability committee has precedents going back 50 years. And so there's nothing new under the sun, as, as it were. But more seriously, I think that there's a renewed impetus hmm. in that area. And they have a number of activities around that. I think also, uh, if I could mention uh, the British Compressed Air Society's uh, Task Force 10, now, uh, compressed air accounts for 10% of all the electricity used in the UK industry, power compressors. BCAS and its members reckon one third of that, and therefore, what, 3% of all industrial electricity used could be saved their combination of the right specification of equipment and uh, the right operation and maintenance, because... There's a, a, a lot of energy lost through, through leakage, and we're starting to see more innovative solutions about uh, capturing heat loss, switching off compressors when they're not needed more. And, and, and I would, what, BCAS is really interesting because they're reaching out, right, if you think their members supply absolutely everything from nuclear power stations to dentists, and they're reaching out across the economy to the users as well as yeah. their members on behalf of their members. And if, if you go onto the BCAS website on BCAS Task Force 10, you're starting to see examples of uh, uh, actions taken by companies, some of which are named, some of which are, are, are just the type of company they are, yeah. to address that specific area. Because there's so much that companies can do, and, it's, and there's a willingness to take action. Uh, so I think really it's an awareness of, of what actions can be taken and examples that uh, disseminating now. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that, uh, Jack. You're familiar with the, the campaign and the petition for a Minister for Manufacturing founded by Andrea Wilson at Honol Precision. What impact could a Minister for Manufacturing have for UK manufacturing SMEs in, in your opinion? I think Andrea is doing a great job in, in, in highlighting that issue. We have uh, we've had a minister responsible for advanced manufacturing before, Lee Rowley, uh, who, who was one of the resignations. Um, I think whatever it's called, and I think we might get, for example, a minister for industry um, in the new government, the ministerial titles and, and, and responsibilities have to be agreed. Yeah. One of the problems with manufacturing is its diversity and the number of different departments who've got an interest. Whatever the person is called, I think it's the what what's needed most is the recognition 
of its importance and the commitment to action across across the spectrum. Um, and that's certainly what um, Ima and I know others will are and will be urging on the, on the new government. And we had an exercise earlier in the year around Make UK's uh, around about the time of the uh, National Manufacturing Day. I think it's a great time to politicise manufacturing with a small p. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, you know, I, I would encourage uh, companies to get in touch with a local MP uh, yeah. and, and, and other influencers, invite them in if they like, and explain to them, <clears throat> and, and with EMA members we can support this, explain to them why it matters, why, why manufacturing matters, uh, and just give them an understanding. Because if you don't come from this background, you perhaps don't realise. And we need to get to a position where not only do the government say manufacturing matters, but MPs are saying, what are you doing to support manufacturing? Because did you know yeah. it's important for these reasons? Yeah. So it's important to have that that local understanding I, and support as well as in... in... I, I, I think so. And it can be... It can be, can be quite a nice exercise for the company itself yeah. to actually think, you know, where where do we fit in? You know, we're not just making things. We're not just doing sums, if you like, the engineering. We are enabling people to travel. We're enabling people to get healthy. We're enabling people in other parts of the world to get water. It's a different mindset. Um, I, I, you know, engineers have a tendency, and I know this from my own past, I can have a tendency to think in terms of products and sums rather than what they're enabling people to do yeah. and the benefits that that brings to people's lives. And that is going to become more and more important in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Not least in recruitment, actually, because young people want to know what is the value that you as a company are bringing? So what is all the value also that we're bringing to the economy? Yeah, the purpose of a business and, and it's why, in effect, isn't it? You know, what, what value is that business adding to the community and around I'll the actually world? make a really interesting board discussion, boardroom discussion. Absolutely. What are we about? Why do people why do people want to, to come and work for us, for example? If you look at the average manufacturer's website, uh, there can be, uh, I, I'm talking about SMEs, for example, there can be a lot about <clears throat> what they do, what they make. But they tend to put the recruitment bit out to the, the, the personal manager or the HR manager who's interested in regulation and form filling. And there isn't the same sparkle about why somebody would want to go and, and work there. That's starting to change. But yeah. the more we can get that into the business, I think the more the, the sector will thrive. Yeah, I think there's a huge responsibility for, for the manufacturers to to really showcase themselves, you know, and, and you know that that lies with them, doesn't it? You know, you, you can uh, you can give them the tools and the techniques and and support, but they, they've got to be, you know, manufacturers are you know they're great at making things, they're great at designing things, but not always so good at you know talking up what they do. And as you just said, why they do it, you know, who actually benefits from our from our products and services? So re- en- really good point. They need to engineer the message. Yes. I think, can we copyright that phrase? Uh, engineer the message, that'll be brilliant. Okay, well, um, so Jack, just finally then, we, we, uh, we've had we've had Brexit, we've had COVID, supply chain disruption, energy gate, if I can call it that, the war in Ukraine, you know, it, it, it's an ever-changing landscape and, and more challenges will be on the road ahead. That's, you know, that's just life. 
But what are the, what are the next challenges you're seeing for for UK manufacturing in the future? Like, you know, what what's the next sort of big risk that that you and your members are, are maybe preparing for? Um, the next big risk, if everybody knew, I think that the the uncertainties at the moment are what's going to be the the inflation rate, what's going to be the exchange rate, and so on. Mm. I think within the industry, I think the challenges around leadership and management uh, are, are, are a big issue. Um, technology adoption. Um, we've, we've recently published um, a guide, which is available on the website, uh, to uh, Industry 4.0. I know yeah. at the moment it's not what com- most companies are thinking about. They're thinking about getting through the next few months. But uh, looking at, at how they develop the culture of the business, the technology of the business. Um, I think the adoption of, so, so leadership and management, uh, the adoption of robotics and automation systems. A lot of companies are needing to, to come into the digital age still. I think one of the interesting points about the Made Smarter Northwest pilot was the extent to which companies are needing, were needing to put in ERP systems. So becoming more productive um, we're, we're, we're working with the business department at the moment to hear from companies. I'd be delighted to hear from companies So, what steps they're taking and what they think they need to become more productive, not yep. just to, so that we're not just innovating the latest cutting edge technology, but we're, but we're adopting existing technology to a, to a good level in the UK. I think that's going to be a challenge. I think that's an opportunity in some sectors particularly uh, composites um, around yep. um, the adoption of, of additive manufacturing. And uh, uh, we've got a, a relaunch of AMUK by Manufacturing Technologies Association, which is an EMA member. But we've got yep. other EMA members who have got interest in that area. It's not for everybody, but I think we're going to see that moving from uh, prototyping into more volume production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... All those technologies, uh, I think, how do we adopt? And I think that's an issue for companies to make the boardroom case, but it's also an issue for the government to get behind, because the amount of money that they can that that, that they can uh, that would help in terms of supporting companies in that way, would be uh, infinitesimal compared with the sums we're talking about in support in other areas, but have a great return for investment. It's almost hitting that stage where there's going to be a mass. You know adoption you know it, it's been used for for rapid prototyping for for a number of years um but again and this is something i was chatting to andy sanford about um in my last podcast uh andy's the editor at, at engineering capacity you know um it's that challenge of of businesses you know adopting am for for volume uh, it's not very widespread from a volume perspective and I, I think some of the processes and materials are still being developed but it seems to be definitely the way forward. So it'd be interesting how that how that pans out. You know, technology is just so important. I, I was only going to agree with you. It's it, it's evolving, but I think we are going to see that progression now and that shift in in perception. Yeah. Okay. So that pretty much wraps up today's episode. I hope everybody taken some uh, some nuggets of information and uh, support away from my discussion today with, with Jack Semple. So thank you very much, Jack, for for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening and look out for the next episode of Insights for Manufacturing. See you next time and bye bye.